0: Did you hear? This is your
1: Johnson County Library time. And now, our monthly must-knows. Here's the episode's call number.
0: 302.1, Parker, The Art of Gathering, How We Meet and Why It Matters by Priya Parker. We present your word of the month. Desideratum something that is wanted or needed. A desideratum for event programming is great online, on-demand availability.
1: Here are numbers you should
0: know. 2,794. In 2019, one of the last pre-COVID era years, we had 2,794 in-person programs and events, reaching 91,822 patrons. If you recently clicked into the events section of our website, you've probably noticed a big change. But change is nothing to be afraid of, especially when it's for the better. And just wait until you see how much better it is. Let's jump in. If you've ever looked for books, movies, or music, you're already familiar with the search box. We've added events as a search option in its drop-down menu. That means you can look for events in the same place you look for items in our collection. And that search box is conveniently Welcome to the Did You Hear
1: podcast.
0: Your library
1: insider. <laughs> Dave, you okay there, Dave? Kind of... Yes. Sound a little snaky today. That's
0: because I'm a snake. Not just a snake, Charles. I'm a serpent. Oh, a, a serpent, huh? Because it's well, Halloween's.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I I should have known. I I didn't didn't really understand the outfit you're wearing right now, but that makes more sense now. You thought I was a mere bookworm, but
0: I am not. I'm a slithering snake.
1: <laughs> good. You're you're good in character there. I,
0: I appreciate it. Did you did you know um, we're actually recording this right around Halloween? Hmm. I did, yeah. Our listeners will be um, partaking on this delicious morsel um, in November, which is more you know Thanksgiving, but yeah. uh, hey, it's Halloween, so it's Halloween? okay to dress up like a serpent. While recording yeah. a podcast. So Dave, what, what was that <laughs> that we just heard? Oh, well, so you know what? We're we're about to release a number of supporting learners uh, tutorials. And it's, it's interesting because it's not just for children, but um, for anyone that's kind of new to the library. And some of the basic skills that you might need uh, to to use different online library services. And so that one in particular was about our calendar. So if you go to our, our website, jokalibrary.org, you'll see that in the search bar there, it says search the and defaults to catalog. But there's a little carrot, a little arrow pointing down. You can click that and you can see that you can choose to search catalog, events, search the website, or search a magazine list. Someday we'll talk about why there's a magazine list there, but there's a very specific reason. (laughs) But that's not today's episode, Charles. No, 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 no. no. Today's episode is... Events. Events. (laughs) Now one could go to jocolibrary.org and they might see that top ribbon of navigation and they would see events on that and if you click that you'll see that you have an opportunity to see a list under events and activities and you can sort by all events online events e-learning exhibitions library on demand contests and then book clubs so i'm just going to click All events, and so when you go into the calendar, you'll see that it has the look and the feel of our catalog. And so uh, some of the things that you can do like you would do in our catalog is that on that left side, you've got a column of choices that you can make to narrow down your choices for your selections. So you choose by date or location. you know, uh, what library, types of events, audiences, languages. And one of the really cool things I love about it is that if an event requires um, registration, Mm -hmm. then you can do it right there. And they'll tell you if it's full or if it's a wait list. And the nice thing is if you've already logged into the website, when you go to register, you don't have to re-enter all your information. We just say, hey, you're registered, and we're gonna send you an email confirming it.
1: Nice. It is it's nice. Very, very convenient.
0: It is. And, um, you know, it's it's pretty cool too that uh, there each event has like a share button, so you can share that with your friends. Um, you can send a link. You can add it straight to your calendar. Um, mm-hmm. I'll be honest with you, it's pretty snazzy.
1: You are a very educational serpent. <laughs>
0: I like to think
1: so. Okay. So that's a pretty good overview there of how our calendar works. Do you want to tell the folks what we're planning to, to what else we're doing this episode on events, other than just say, go check out our events?
0: Well, you know, I I think uh, we really have to speak with... Um, somebody who really knows a lot about events, and that would be um, our events uh, coordinator, uh, Joseph Keane.
1: Yeah, that would be good. And then I think we can ask some of our librarians to call us about their favorite events, like we, everybody likes to hear from the librarians and Absolutely. hear their opinions, their recommendations on books, and just their reminiscing about events.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and we'll have some music and, you know, that fits in perfectly because we like to have a number of musicians participate in our events.
1: Yeah. And as we're recording this, the local writers conference is coming up. Yes. So we should also include some local writing. Absolutely.
0: And I'll, I'll just say this and more. And more. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, Charles. Very good. I, I I, I I am a little confused though because I notice you've dressed up for this podcast for for Halloween as
1: as well. But what what is your costume? Yeah, so I I've actually decided this year to go as a mongoose from Ricky Tikki Tavi, my favorite my favorite book. Oh wait, no, wait,
0: oh, wait, oh, wait, oh, wait what what now?
1: A uh, a a mongoose a
0: mongoose Have you?
1: Yeah, have you have you heard? of a mongoose? I
0: believe that a mongoose is the natural enemy of the
1: snake. Hmm. Well. Yep. Let's get to it. No! So I thought a good way to start out our discussion of events at Johnson County Library today would be just to share some numbers about one of the biggest changes that has happened to the way we do events here at the library, um, and that is the transition to virtual programming. And in 2019, the library had 2,794 in-person programs and events. And wow. we reached ninety-one thousand eight hundred twenty-two patrons, oh, which my. is it's a lot. But did you know, Dave, that in that first year, starting in summer of twenty twenty, when we started offering virtual programming, that we had around eight hundred and seven programs, approximately, oh, <laughs> uh, that that have from that time in twenty 2020 twenty into twenty twenty one, and have already reached 64,681 patrons.
0: And I'd like to take this opportunity events. now to read through the list of all 800 plus programs. <laughs> A, uh, starting with the A's. Uh, let me, hold on here. Well, Get the paper. Here's the long, I'm not going to do that. You go ahead.
1: No. Please no, I, Yeah, so we have so many events that we do for our public and that, Transition, I think, should be a a core thing we talk about in this episode of the podcast.
0: Absolutely. But more than the numbers, it's the people behind these events. There's so much planning and coordination. Um, And then when the uh, events are, are happening and just making sure that it's such a good experience. And one of those people that I think you have to begin with when you start to talk about events would be our Johnson County Library program and event coordinator, Joseph Keane. Joseph is with us today. Hi, Joseph. How are you?
2: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Dave and Charles.
0: So before we jump into the specifics about the events and the behind the scenes, what's the behind the scenes about Joseph King? How did you come to this job? What's your career tra- trajectory?
2: Oh <laughs> so um, I started in um, in the arts. Um back in the day. Um, So so I come from an arts background. Um, I originally was in museum work. Um, I worked at uh, the Brooklyn Museum, the New Museum, uh, the Japan Society, um, as well as uh, working at the Salina Arts Center, the Spencer Art Museum, the Mulvane Art Museum. Um, So so those are more uh, regional or local ones that uh, people around Kansas City might know a little bit more about. Um, and then so I worked in education departments and as a curator um, ah. in those uh, in those areas and I presented a lot of uh, public programs. Um so while I was I at the so,
0: so I'm starting to see kind of a transition into sort of that library world and the types of things that that we were offering. So you saw the job advertised for Choco <laughs> Library and yeah, like well,
2: one. actually, actually, um, a former um, uh, librarian here, um, Stuart Hines, uh, used to work at Johnson County Library, and he former
0: teammate of mine.
2: Yes, a former teammate of yours. Um, and he uh, saw a production that I was doing here in Kansas City uh, back in 2012. Um, he saw the production that I was doing out on Troost, um, which was called um, um, "An Otherwise Hopeless Evening," and he. Um, Told me about this job. Um, and he's like, I think you'd be really good for uh, this organization um, and um, help um, them with their programming endeavors that they are starting to venture out into. They have a new county librarian at the time. That's um, uh, uh, Mr. Sean Casserly, So, yeah. um, who's still with us today?
0: Right. And and uh, you know, uh, having been with the library for a number of years now, I can tell you it was a much needed. Uh, position, as um, things were were not super coordinated, but the need for programming was definitely um, calling for for more organization, and and people want uh, programs and places where they can get together and um, have these uh, enriching experiences. Um, So you've done a great job, and so thank you (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's been a pleasure. I think that's the thing that draws um, uh, how the library hooks um, staff members really is that uh, we really want to provide access to this, uh, to whether it's an experience or um, information um, or materials. We really want to we, we want to give that to people. And so right. if we can remove those barriers in order to give them those experiences, um, we'll sure. do, Anything it takes in order to remove them,
0: yeah. so let's let's broadly define events. So so we're talking all ages, something for everyone, um, a, a variety of of topics and formats. and uh, it it begins with as young as um, boy, there's an infant story time, I believe. And no,
2: yeah, yeah. So we do baby time, baby story times. Um,
0: <laughs> Toddler all story the way,
2: times. Yeah, all the way up to um, this fall, we are having a um, um, a series of programs that are geared towards ageism, for instance, um, yeah. So, um, which are available. Um, some of those programs will be available um, through Library on Demand, for instance, where people can watch them anytime that they have the um, ability to watch them.
1: So just a real narrow scope of of focus. Yeah, for we, your, for yeah,
2: your... yeah. No, we, yeah, exactly. We um our focus is so narrow that it's probably just <laughs> providing programs to people. Yeah, yeah. So oh, but so we I'm... also do. We also do provide programs for dogs too. We do have reach oh. with dogs.
1: <laughs> programs for dogs. Uh, Can't what, forget about no cats. <laughs> cats? No, no cats. No. So you were saying that you want to eliminate those obstacles for people, and I feel like going back to what we opened this segment on the uh, the transition from in person to online in the era of COVID. It seems like COVID itself was becoming a barrier to people accessing our events. How did that that shift happen to your position? Because it seems like a major major event in the last. In the last year and year and a half, I guess.
2: Yeah, um, definitely COVID uh, threw um, the world a curveball, and um, as um, it threw our library a curveball, and how do we continue to provide the services that we were doing Um, from materials handling, uh, from giving books. how do we get the materials into people's hands, but also those programs. Uh, we knew, and there was an outcry for us to continue doing programs, and we had to pivot. Um, um, COVID forced us to acknowledge that there's a whole other world out there on um, called the web um, for programming, and so it really forced us to... Um, not only acknowledged that those audience bases exist there and that this is um, a tool that people have, uh, that many people do have access to, um, but it also provided us an opportunity to really look at what we were providing. Um, what are the essential things that we do need to be providing to people through our events and programs?
0: Yeah, isn't that interesting? You know, it it seems like a lot of these tools were available, but a lot of people um, were kind of hesitant to latch on to it. And in a way, a lot of folks were kind of forced to try something new and get out of their comfort zone. And then they experienced it and they realized this is a pretty rich and wonderful experience too. And it's not as scary, uh, you know, as far as the technology as they might have thought.
2: Yeah, technology can be really intimidating, and I think that's where um, technology has this element of perfectionism to it, that in person, you feel like you can get, there's a little bit more grace given to each other, I feel, in person, mm-hmm. that we weren't giving ourselves in the virtual. Um, I think that we're giving ourselves more of that grace in the virtual than we did Very before.
0: Very good, Yeah. That's that's well said. And I, I think it's really interesting when you start comparing the two, because there's there's obviously a lot of benefits to being in person and, and having that contact and that immediacy. But there's a lot of positives uh, for online platforms as well. Um, for instance, you can put a lot of information right at the fingertips of the person that's participating in an event and give them um, – more immediate ways to interact with the program?
2: Yeah, um, I think one of the one of the benefits of the online or the virtual platforms that we do utilize um, that they are interconnected in a lot of ways. So um, someone c- could get as much or as little information as they want um, where with an in-person program, uh, you're limited whatever is available in that space. Right. Uh, where on a virtual program, if something comes to mind, like, oh, you need to, um, here are some resources uh, that relate to this particular story time, or right. here are some right. resources that relate to this author visit. Um, there's an immediacy there. and Right,
0: you know, like in, in a live setting, you're like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll send out the email later, or we'll give you a link mm-hmm. to this website, and then you forget. And But uh, in that live setting, you know, it can... Be a transfer of information just very quickly.
2: Right, Um, exactly.
1: The other benefit I've really noticed for myself is that because of that on-demand feature that online content unlocks, if you aren't available during a program, it might have previously been, oh, I missed that person that I wanted to go here. But now people can go to our on-demand on our website and they can pull things up and they can see it whenever it's convenient to them.
0: Yeah, and yeah, Charles. I, I was just going to mention that it's like with with live programming. I think there was always that want and desire to to film the live program and then later put it on the web, but that takes time and energy and a lot of coordination and and a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of times you just don't have the ability to do that. But this this online online platform is built for that, and now we do have that uh, wonderful. You know, on-demand resource.
2: Yeah, the infrastructure is now in place, um, or a, a major part of the infrastructure that we did not have before um, is available for more staff to utilize. Um, before it was, it was really, Dave. It's your like your area of expertise, and you're one person, uh, or <laughs> myself, um, and I'm one person. And as uh, Charles mentioned before, we do almost. Three thousand programs in person. Oh, um, okay. That's that's a lot of um, that's a lot of content that is given out to the public, um, and the support structure, the support staff that's available to those. Um, COVID's really shown us what support we are needing in order yeah. to keep that as system, uh, to create the sustainability and programming that we would like to see in the future
0: yeah yeah and and you know it's not just on uh 24 for our online presence i i think that's a wonderful platform and it's yeah, really diverse. YouTube. and got a lot of resources yeah, yeah we've U- got youtube too. um i was going to mention uh facebook that that has always been an option to us but i feel like librarians were kind of slow to gravitate to it and it maybe it's that intimidation factor um but i think covid forced some hands and then they realized oh This is not only easy, it's super fun, and I'm connecting with my audience in new and exciting ways.
2: Well, and I think that COVID allowed us the time to see that too. Um, Because prior to COVID, we were going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next. Um, It was very much, um, we didn't have the space in order to really reflect on, um, we could reflect on maybe the larger programs, but on those kind of the day-to-day type of programming that we were doing, we, we weren't able to because there was such a high demand. There's a high demand for those, in um, particular, like story time. There's, there's a high demand for those. Um, so um, COVID allowed us to s- sit with it. How can we use this? What can our best practices be? Um for a platform such as Facebook, uh, because all of those things we didn't have in place before Covid. How do you manage a chat? How do you um how do you control the space that is so that is so flexible and um, malleable? how do you how do you how do you rein that in in order for um, a librarian or a staff member who is facilitating or giving content? the agency to be able to say hold on a second uh to a patron i will get to you and here's that information um so there we didn't allow that space uh that space to actually develop that covid allowed us to do that
1: yeah. what a silver lining yeah and and then not to to dwell completely on online stuff this through the, for this events we do plan to still incorporate um once we are in a position to allow that we still plan to incorporate in-person events again in the future, right?
2: Oh most most definitely I think um I I this is what I do know I do know that and I don't know I I feel like that what, I've learned so much in this job over the years, and that's one thing that I do love about the library, is a learning organization, that your job is never completely stagnant. it You will always learn something from it, or you'll learn from other people within the organization. And one thing that I've learned is that I've learned more audiences that we can reach. Um, uh-huh. So there are many more audiences that we can reach, whether that's through virtual outreach, whether that's through uh, virtual programming um, or in-person programming, in-person outreach, there's a lot of opportunities for us. Um, So I don't foresee any of our offerings being limited now to a particular platform or a particular um, way of engaging it that we have a lot more tools at our fingertips. Um, Now it's curating it um, down to the um, what is the best method for delivery.
0: That is fascinating. You know, uh, considering some of the work we're we're doing in the promotion world and marketing world and uh, web world, um, we we were really looking at ways that we could connect to what we call occasionals. And those are folks that just occasionally step foot in the library, but honestly, they would prefer to have an online experience over going to the physical library, and boy, uh, stepping up our game with, um, you know, uh, our online events, that that has definitely given them that option.
2: Yeah, and one thing that I have seen since offering programs online where they are recorded and they are available to watch later on, um, our patron base are expecting that now, so they might register for a program and might not attend the actual live version of that program but they are coming back to watch it so which has allowed us to pivot some of our programs into being recorded programs prior to it so that the quality can be the the quality can be enhanced um, by practicing more Um, just kind of like how like podcasts for instance that um you have an editing level that you can possibly do within the podcast um or Ed- wait is that, wait
0: Ed- what? Ed- charles editing this what? is new to me <laughs> gonna have to we look can edit this?
2: <laughs> maybe not this podcast had i known <laughs> <laughs> maybe um, but the, but that that um that layer of quality control Sure. can be enhanced more, um, which yeah. is uh, something that you don't get in a live program, that a live uh-huh. program you get all those weird pauses or awkward silences sometimes um, that you you don't necessarily know how to fill. But if you are recording the program in advance, such as some of our makerspace programs and our artist in sight programs, um those programs are recorded in advance, um, which allows um, some rehearsal time.
1: Ah, I see, yeah, so then so then joseph, you um your role, I know from the events that I have helped out with here at the library in my position as an information specialist, um, you're in all of those planning meetings in all of those prep meetings. do you find now any any difference in like okay, people are starting to to understand more of how, how we do these things, or is it still a lot of hands-on guidance from you?
2: Well, well, for me, I think I don't do a lot of the planning, um, of a lot of the programs. I think that, um, there are so many, we have 70, what is it, 78 staff members that are Mm -hmm. involved in programming at some level. Um, there is no way that, um, I would be able to attend all the planning sessions or anything like that. What I feel my role is here at the library is um, really to make sure that I am um, providing the resources and the um, and the the skills necessary for those programs to occur or to remove barriers that staff might have um, in order to, Pull off the event that they or the the program that they're really um, that they're trying to do or facilitate or moderate. Um, So I feel like that's my role. So I don't I like to give I I like to kind of stand back a little bit away from the um, the planning aspect of it unless the staff needs me there. Um, How many years have you been here now, Joseph? Uh, so since okay. I think I'll be going on 10 years. 10 years.
0: I know, a decade. Crazy. So you've seen a lot of change then. Um, You know where we're at right now. Tell us, just give us a little glimpse of the future of events at Johnson County Library.
2: Well, I I definitely see on the horizon that we will be offering um, more programs that are going to be hybrid uh where uh, people will have the opportunity to either see them in person or that they'll be recorded so that they're online so i definitely see that that's going to be a um a potential in the future um for our large-scale programs and our events i i do foresee and i hope that we can still continue offering some kind of online component to those such as the writers conference for instance um we have that's coming up. Uh, that's coming up quickly next week. Um, we have the writers' conference, um, and r- the last two years it's been completely virtual. And we are missing the the in-person interactions um, and the community building that does occur by having things in person. I think we are missing some of that, um, especially within um, like a writing community, for instance. Um, could really benefit from having in-person uh, programming. Um, with that said, though, many of the lectures that we do offer, um, they reach that you, it doesn't matter where you're at, you can get that information. And you should be able to get that information. Um, you shouldn't have to only get it in person.
0: Yeah. It's like it's part of the, like the collection. Yes. That's awesome. I like
2: that. I like that. We're... we're providing like a mini collection. I like to think of our, our offerings kind of like Netflix. It's You get to choose um, what you want to watch. Um, yeah. And um, it's not always there. It's always being refreshed. So you do have to continually come back to visit uh, because uh, it's not always going to be there. We do try to keep um, our material as uh, fresh and relevant um, as we can. Yeah.
0: Joseph, uh, on behalf of Charles and I, thank you so much for talking with us today.
2: It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.
3: Good morning. My name is Chris Leach. I'm the Community Relations Coordinator for Johnson County Library. My favorite memory from a JCL event is from the Big Fall Kids Book Sale in 2019 which was held at Central Library and sponsored and presented by the Friends of Johnson County Library. I remember distinctly a little girl with a new book, and she was so excited. uh, She got to hold it, uh, because it was her own personal book, and she sat down immediately and started leafing through the pages and looking at the pictures. I'm not sure she could read yet or not, but she was engaging with the book in a way that just sparks joy in the heart of anybody who works in the library, because her world was complete in that moment, Uh, She was absorbed and engaged and content, and uh, you can't ask anything more uh, for a child to be, especially with a book in hand. Um, I hope we have many more such memories created uh, in our library uh, through the years, and uh, I hope uh, you all find this uh, memory as special as I do. Bye. Hi, my
4: name is Heather, and I am an adult information specialist at the Oak Park Library. And one of my favorite memories from a JCL event happened when I was a patron before becoming an employee with JCL. I attended the Money Monday session. They're called Money Mondays now, and I think they were called that back then. In the early 2010, they were held at Central Resource Library, and I went each week, and they talked about different money topics, but my favorite part was one of the last weeks, they were doing raffle prizes, and there was a really beautiful briefcase portfolio. It, it consisted of a three-ring binder, and there were folders in there, and it had a little calculator inside. And I really, the minute I saw it, I just thought, wow, it would be great if I won that. Well, we all wound up putting our names in a little basket for the prize at the end. And I did win, which was just such a highlight of the event. I still have it with me at home. It's just very much stuck with me. It's a really memorable event, very happy. And that's probably one of my favorite memories from a JCL event. Thank you so much for letting me
0: share. Bye. Hi. uh, So this is so weird. This is Dave Carson. (laughs) You just heard me as being the host of the show. But um, I have a favorite memory from an event, and I have to share it. And so, um, you know, I went to the uh, Massimino, um, Mike Massimino. He's an astronaut, and he came to the Johnson County Library, and he presented. And uh, what I loved about it was it was a chance for my dad and I to really connect and get together and attend a uh, Johnson County Library event together that, you know, we had a shared interest, and uh, that was a lot of fun, and really, it's the only event at the library that we've gotten together for, and so that uh, on its own is really special, and I, I just really felt like I wanted to share that.
4: This is Erica Vol, uh Youth Librarian at Blue Valley Library. My favorite memory of a JCL event was the Beatles sing-along that was at Central several years ago with um, several JCL members, staff members, um, playing music, and we all sang along to the Beatles with the kids. It was a fantastic time watching our young daughter sing and dance to the Beals, and we had a great time. There was a bubble machine. It was so fun.
5: Hi, this is Kate McNair. I'm the Teen Services Coordinator, and my favorite memory from a JCL event is probably from one of our elementary receptions. I have a lot of favorite memories from those receptions where we release a new issue of our Teen Literary Magazine, um, but one that I remember most recently was um, for Issue 17, Um, We had this amazing poem called Spaghetti Boyfriend submitted by uh, Emma Anderson. And it was this great poem and this photo that went with it and our editors really loved it. And then um, at the reception when they got to meet Emma um, for the first time. There was just this really great, like, this outpouring of love for the poem that she had and that was published in a magazine and people were just so obsessed. And um, it was really cool to see someone, like, come to this event for the first time and they already have a fan base and our editors are already, like, all over them and super excited to meet them. And then, of course, Emma had to become an editor for the next issue, which I think is just um, a really beautiful kind of circle that um, Elementia creates. And we have so many experiences like that. I remember being at our central resource library um, and there was a, a piece of art uh, from a previous issue that our editors really loved and the artists showed up and they were all freaking out about it. And so I just love those moments where um, people can uh, find that they have unexpected fans. And so I think that's a really beautiful thing.
4: A couple years ago, Monticello Library partnered with a rescue group, Positive Tales, and we did an adoption event at the library. Guys, I can't explain this. It was the best day. We had puppies in the library. Oh, I was so happy. The pictures of that day and the staff holding the puppies are just Amazing.
5: Hi, Dave, this is Angelica calling from the Makerspace, and I was calling in to let you know my favorite memory that the JCL uh, programs had held. And one in particular was the teen drop-in program where Makerspace facilitators took the equipment out into the teen area. We engaged the teens by uh, creating an interactive, large coloring wall. We brought in an illustrator who showed teens how to draw Halloween-themed cartoons, And the illustrator's illustrations were actually the ones that were printed in large format to create the coloring wall. It was this great, fun, interactive community um, thing that was happening here at the library and with the teens. Hey, Dave. This is Lisa
6: Allen, and I'm calling in with a favorite memory from a Johnson County Library event. My favorite memory of a Johnson County Library event is from my very first experience with the Writers' Conference. It was 2016 and I didn't even work for the library, but as a patron, I reached out to Helen Hokinson via email about an anthology that I had been published in, and Helen interviewed me for what was then the local writer's blog. Through that, she learned that I wrote dating profiles for a living, which prompted her to ask me to teach a session about writing professional profiles at the upcoming writer's conference. I was super excited and thought nothing could be better than being asked to be a presenter. Jason Reynolds was supposed to be the headliner that year, but that's also the year that Jason Reynolds kind of became the big deal that he is now, and he had to postpone his programs with us. So when I checked the library's website for links to the conference and saw a notice that said, Cancelled, I emailed Helen in a panic, thinking the entire event was cancelled. But then she told me an even better thing than getting to be a presenter, that the conference was still happening and that Abigail Thomas was taking Jason's place. Well, as my kid would say, I totally fangirled. I sometimes wonder what Helen thought because I kept saying things like, oh my God, and she's my favorite writer, and I cannot believe Abigail Thomas is coming to Kansas. To this day, I feel so incredibly lucky that Helen and Joseph trusted me enough to pick Abby up from the airport, take her to lunch, and get her to the kickoff event that night, where she and I sat in a Carmack room in front of attendees and talked about her books and cooking and life. It was magical. Then she did a session the next morning about writing prompts. I'll never forget it. She read Marie Howe's poem, Practicing, which took my breath away, and then said, now write two pages about something you had to practice. And that's how we learned how the phenomenally talented writer Abigail Thomas gets unstuck if she can't write. She tells herself to write two pages that include three random things, like write two pages with a hard-boiled egg, soggy tennis shoes, and a man named Mike. Told us how writing about these seemingly random things is actually a side door into subjects that we might be having a hard time entering because of their importance or their complexity. She is a remarkable teacher. She stayed engaged with attendees and other presenters throughout the conference when she wasn't teaching. She sat in the audience while the contest winners read their pieces and she clapped and cheered for them. She was so kind and so encouraging and so genuine. And I still cannot believe that I actually got to spend time with her, all thanks to Helen and Joseph and the Writers' Conference.
0: Hey, it's Dave again, and as you very well know, This episode, we're talking about events, and one of the biggest events at the Johnson County Library is our annual Writers' Conference. We are thrilled and privileged to have one of the presenters from the Writers' Conference, who also was your Imagine Your Story Writing Contest winner for 2020, Nick Lopez. And here he is, reading his essay, I Am a Coconut. Hi, my name is Nick
7: Lopez. This is my personal essay, I Am a Coconut. I learned what race was at 12 years old in 1999. That summer, my family moved from a quiet neighborhood in Stevens City, Virginia to Grain Valley, Missouri, an 89.7% white suburb of Kansas City with a population of 14,526. This is not a story about the Mexicans escaping the barrio. We were a middle class family who lived comfortably. My sister and I attended Rosedale Academy in Virginia, a private Baptist school with a white majority student body and administration. The move was an opportunity for our family to grow and our parents to provide a better life for us. Green Valley is where I first heard the words dirty Mexican and beaner. I discovered roofers more likely were Mexicans or Beaners. Until now, I did not know I was biracial. My dad, Roger Lopez, born in Denver, Colorado, was a third-generation Mexican-American with Native American and Spanish ancestry. My mom, Rena Lopez, is from northern Pennsylvania. Her maiden name is Bruner, and her family is originally from England, Germany, and Sweden. While applying for their marriage license, the court clerk commented on the oddness of a Bruner marrying a Lopez. Luckily, this clerk was not a matchmaker for the marriage licenses she processed. By freshman year, I decided the best way to assimilate here was to be whiter than the white kids. My dad explained to me real Mexicans would call us coconuts, brown on the outside, white on the inside. But the Hollister and Abercrombie clothes I wore and having only white friends could not change my skin from brown to white. My peers still would call me a dirty Mexican, beaner, or roofer as a joke. I feared not fitting in, so I would laugh along with them, suppress the pain and confusion of who I was inside of me. When asked what race I was, my response became, I'm a coconut, brown on the outside, white on the inside. Not understanding by insulting my own insecurities,
0: I was by proxy, saying racism was okay. To read the rest of I Am a Coconut by Nick Lopez, you can check our show notes. We have the link right there for you. Or you can go to the Johnson County Library website, jocolibrary.org, and simply search Nick Lopez.
1: We end today's show with another installment of In Search of Paul Rudd.
0: friends, the search goes on. Paul Rudd may be elusive, but you know what? I have stick-to-itiveness, and uh, that means a lot in this world. And I'll tell you what, I think I have a major break in the case. So a little bird told me that uh, Mr. Paul Rudd is starring in a movie that is coming out very soon called Ghostbusters Afterlife. And so, I'm calling out to those cast members, uh-huh, those cast members who are also, did you hear listeners, to Go ahead and, you know, let let Mr. Paul Rudd know that we're looking for him. We would love to have you, Paul Rudd, on our podcast. So those of you that, you know, are the cast members of Ghostbusters Afterlife, like Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Ernie Hudson, uh, McKenna Grace, Annie Potts. Listen, I know you listen to the show. I know you know Paul Rudd. Let's put one and one together and uh, make two. And make library podcast history did you hear is a production of johnson county library in johnson county kansas usa find new episodes each month on our website jocolibrary.org and older episodes at jocolibrary.org did you hear you can subscribe to the did you hear podcast from our streaming home, jocolibrary.podbean.com or search for Joco Library or Did You Hear at your favorite podcast streaming service. Also, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash jocolibrary on Twitter at jocolibrary on Instagram, instagram.com slash jocolibrary and check out our YouTube channel youtube.com slash joco library. We'd love to hear from you via email. Write to us at didyouhear at jocolibrary.org. Hear a brand new episode on the first of next month. Thanks for listening.